As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Chloe Kelly's goal celebration at the Euros final sent Wembley roaring. But Old Trafford weren't happy when the Man City forward cupped her hand to her ear at the Stratford end, then put a finger to her lips. Just listen to the booze. Manchester City have found an equaliser! As Chloe and Drake said, There's never much love when we go out here. So how did Man City silence United in the Manchester derby? I'm Sophie Penny and from The Athletic, this is Full Time Europe. Later on, as Chelsea face the team that knocked out Arsenal and Wolfsburg from the Champions League, we'll be asking who are Paris FC? Paris FC are working with a budget around 2.5 million euros for their women's team. Lyon, for example, are working in and around 15 million. But first, the Athletics Manchester United experts Carl Anker and Harriet Drudge are with me. Hello to you both. Hiya. Hi, Sophie. With Carl and Harriet on today, we're going to be focusing a bit more on the United side. So a 3-1 win to City, but a record crowd for a United women's home game. Harriet, what was it like being one of the 43,615 fans? And I also have to get both of your opinions on the Chloe Kelly celebration. What did you think of it both? Oh, I hated it, but I loved it at the same time. I thought it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's what derbies are made for. And if if it's your team whacking out that celebration, then you're loving it, aren't you? It's just, it's not so nice when it's against you. Carl? I hate how much I loved it. My friend sent it to me. Uh, in the group chat at full time and I went I'm sorry unfortunately I have to stand like well done so Chloe Kelly referencing one dance from Drake uh, hitting the badge and there is always the the concern when WSL games are played in the biggest stadiums that the atmosphere shifts slightly and can become a bit too genteel and friendly and you're always worried about that you know I'm get off the tram and I'm walking down Old Trafford, I'm seeing half and half scarves being sold. And okay, yeah, I've seen half and half scarves being sold in the men's derby as well. But that always makes me, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, <laughs> and, but it's still also good that, yeah, after a big game, 
the victor does get to wag their finger and stick their tongue out and go na 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 na. So I can't <laughs> I can't wait for the uh, return fixture uh, where um, Mallard will do their own version to Man City. <laughs> <laughs> it is nice to have a bit of spice in the in a WSL derby. I definitely like that. Did you expect that three one scoreline, Carl? No, not really. Uh, Manchester United had been unbeaten in all their trips to Old Trafford and you thought this would be the hardest one. But if anything, 3-1 didn't accurately reflect how dominant City were for at least 75 minutes. So, a bit disappointing. Yeah, United's first loss of the season, 13 games unbeaten in the league. City had obviously lost their last two, hadn't they? Now, United went ahead through a Katie Zellen penalty. Then Jill Rord equalised, thanks to that run from, from Chloe Kelly. But I want to talk about City's second and third goals, which came from United defensive areas. And I know, Carl, you picked up on this in your piece on The Athletic, focusing on the City press and that United back line. Tell me about what you saw there. First thing from City was they, they really wanted to stretch United. They played really, really wide in this 4-2-3, 4-2-3-1. Um, Leah Galton was playing at left back. I think that was an attempt from Skinner to try and get an extra attacker on the field, put a bit of extra pressure on uh, Keaton in goal. But no, I don't think that worked. No. <laughs> it was really, really, I don't think that worked. United were really sloppy in their build-up play. So City playing really, really wide, stretch Galton and, and stretch the back four that you know, to breaking point. And then they pressed really, really high. So whenever United tried to build from the back, for all of Mary Upps' shot-stopping quality, she's not the best short passer. And there were two or three times where Katie Zellum would receive the ball back back to the opposition and you just immediately get clamped by a City attacker. So United really couldn't build up with any sort of consistency. And they were warned two or three times. Harriet, did you see one chance? Like I think it was like 15 minutes in? Yeah. And you're like, that, there's your warning. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. You know that they do like to play out from the back, uh, regardless of what Marcus said uh, post-match. Let me just jump in because we can play that clip of what Mark Skinner said after the match. Honestly, it'll be a momentary thing. We're very good at it. And what we just need to do is if teams press us high, we just find the out ball quicker. I'll be very clear. We don't build from the back for an egotistical thing. It's because if the opponents press you high, the space is higher up. So we need to make sure that we maximise that. So it's just about what spaces the opponent give us. What we didn't do tonight was there were still there, those spaces. But we played into traps. And rather than just play and move around that pressure, we allowed the pressure to absorb us. And I don't mean the pressure of the occasion. I mean the pressure of the player against us. You know that they do like to, and they are confident in passing around the back line, most of the time, but when you realise that it's not working and that you're taking risks, you need to change what your approach is and you need to be smart. That's the thing, like, okay, this isn't working. We keep doing this. If we keep doing this, we're going to get punished. And that ultimately is what happened. Yep. So there was one, I think 15 minutes in, Bunny Shaw came very close to to picking Mary Epps' pocket and then had had to manoeuvre the ball out of the way. And then the second one, second goal from City was very much just clamped trying to build that from the back and then eventually the third goal is a hospital pass from Maya Letizia if you want to be really really mean and then Mary Earp's panicking and just colliding with, with Bunny Shaw and it going in uh, I know apparently in the broad TV broadcast Mary Earp's was seen like talking to the heavens like what am I supposed to do and yeah like, well not that yeah <laughs> yeah I think I think there were a few things that worked against them in that 
But again, it was it all kind of stemmed from stop doing that because it's not mm-hmm. working. But I think that, I mean, the weather, obviously Manchester never doesn't yep. rain when I go to Manchester. Yep. Uh, but it was pretty torrential uh, throughout mm. in different phases. And at that point, I think it was maybe either it just been raining quite a lot and I was kind of behind Letizia's pass and you could see that it did kind of hold up a bit but Mary hesitated too so those two things combined really didn't help them and the kind of overall it it felt like they were playing with a little bit of fear to me it looked like they were playing in a way that they didn't want to lose rather than playing in a way that was going to help them win also, I think last season playing out from the back, Onabache was the player who got them out from the back, wasn't she? And now she's left to go to Barcelona. And as you said, Leah Golton playing in that left back position and you've got Hannah Blundell on the right. So actually, is that the issue that they just haven't replaced Onabache for playing out from the back? Absolutely. You know, I think that's always going to be an issue. Onabache was the best fullback in the league last season. And it's always going to be hard to replace a player of that quality. And she is one of those football players where you could spend the next five transfer windows with a ridiculous amount of money and you probably won't be able to get a fullback that good. But still, playing Leah Galton there rather than any recognised fullback is difficult. I know Jade Riviere apparently had a knock so she could only last 45 minutes. Who would you put there then in left back? We've already realised Leah Galton doesn't work. You need her attacking threat, don't you? But who do they really put there? That's uh, that's the question I think that is proving to be kind of the biggest headache for Mark Skinner this season. Obviously, at fullback, we've lost Gabby George through ACL. Hannah Blundell is, can play either. But again, you kind of want a settled back four. And I think that's where a lot of the problems have come this season in terms of Man United haven't really helped themselves. You know, they're going behind in games. They're having to kind of dig deep late in games. Jade Riviere had a really difficult time against PSG in the first leg of the Champions League when she was in midfield. Mm. Uh, And you could just, Mark Skinner was basically coaching her one-on-one throughout that first half. But she's done well at fullback since she's been back in there. And she's, you know, come up with some assists. She's been positive and going forward. I thought she played really well when she came on that second half. So I think your back line does look like Blundell, Turner, Letizia, and Riviere and when they get into a bit more of a rhythm and settled I think that should be a good enough back line uh, against most opposition. I know Harriet when you were watching you noticed a big difference between the attacking threat that United and, and City had and potentially the quality or the clinicalness of, of that attacking threat because I think obviously we can talk about the back line all we want and that is where the goals came from for City but United did have chances on the counter-attack, didn't they, from from Mallard and, and JC as well? They did, yeah. And that was that was the thing. I think Manchester United's chances, had they gone to City, City would have scored them easily. They would have been more clinical, the passes, especially, Carl, I don't know, <laughs> um, with this one. JC is just an incredible talent. Like She's such a flair player. And she's so exciting to watch. But that final final ball or that final shot at the moment just isn't quite isn't quite there and that that square pass to Nikita Paris I think she'll still be she'll she'll still be dreaming about that I think and I think that's that's one of the one of the key areas where Man United need to improve this season is is clinical finishing in the big moments because you can score five against 
West Ham and seven against Everton. But you need to be making sure that when you don't have as many opportunities as you get against those teams, that you're putting the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, I agree. There was two or three touches from Mallard. and oh, I know I'm not supposed to fall in love with a lone player, but I'm, I'm fast approaching. Make it permanent. Mallard is, is incredible in the transition and her team up with JC is just... Mark Skinner said something that really interested me right at the end of the press conference. We were talking about the chance, the you know the square pass didn't quite happen, and the ball kind of went out of play, but then it wasn't a corner, and everyone was really confused. And he he said words to the effect of the connection between them is more good playing chemistry that players have off the cuff between and, who and he, between Mallard and Jason. And he said words to the effect of for the non-native English speakers, we need to get them up to a level where they can communicate constantly rather than it being flashes of, of, of flashes of brilliance which you're like okay that I mean there's often been this talk about how Skinner prefers having British players or English speaking players for a bit and he, he sort of semi-confirmed it there and you, you look at this United team that's got eight players over the summer you're going right the adjustment and the calibration that Skinner's looking for might take some time because he seems a little bit reluctant to play all of his players at this point in time and you're going if you just trust them a little bit more they'll be able to carry you through more than what you're currently doing actually united had no touches or shots in the city penalty area between the 45th and 70th minute they actually had no shots between the 21st and 79th minute so that's a long period of the game where they were completely shut out and even when there was a red card wasn't it Lia alexandri got a second second yellow for man city and it felt like at that moment, the momentum shifted, but they still couldn't really make the most of that red card. So I find that quite interesting about how they were pretty shut out in, in those periods, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. They, I think it was the first 10 minutes as well. They didn't have any touches in the, in the city box. I think part of it is you've got two very direct, very impressive players in, in Mallard and JC. You've got Ella Toon, who has not hit the heights that she's hit last season. Possibly because yeah, the way United want to attack has been completely redone since the departure of Russo. And there are two or three times where Toon is getting into those areas where you know she's very, very dangerous. But that final ball isn't forthcoming. There was a little bit where Mallard had a back heel to set up a, a counter-attack from deep in the United half. And you're going, this is going to be goal of the season. And they're breaking at pace. Uh, and the ball gets to Toon and Toon sort of takes it a little bit too wide and then can't quite get the shot off. You know, like, ah, right. Last season, you don't take it that wide. You you take it one touch and you, sh- you shoot and you score. I think that's interesting, that idea of Toon having to play in a different role without Russo. So what what more can you tell us about that? Because I do think Ella Toon is getting a lot of stick this season from the Man United fans. Is it just the role doesn't suit her? What What is different about how she's being asked to play? I think last season, Toon was very ball dominant. You know, the plan is get it to Honor. Honor will take it up. Honor is going to look for Toon. Toon's now going to try and find Russo. And that was that was your path. Whereas now you've got, one, you can't get it to Honor all the time. Two, Toon is having to share spacing and share the ball with Mallard, with JC. And you're going two or three times, you, you can feel them stepping on each other's toes. And Good players will figure this out. I think Toon will, will adjust and, and come into her own and start threading in fantastic through balls to these brilliant players ahead of her. But there are two or three sections where she is not going into those areas that she was going last season. And it's hard to tell 
if she's been told not to, to provide space for her teammates, or if she doesn't, if she's not confident enough to try it herself at this point in time. What do you make of this, Harriet? It is a, a work in progress when you start playing with a player like Jay-Z, who's unpredictable as an opponent when you're facing her. So she's also unpredictable when you're a teammate because mm. you just don't know what she's going to do, even though she'll probably take on three players and come out with the ball. And then is she going to pass or is she going to shoot? And I think that that will come. That will come. She's a very different player to Alessia Russo, who Ella Toon has been playing with for you know most of her life. So it will be an adjustment. It is going to be an exciting time, I think, for that forward line. It's just not quite clicked yet. Looking to the future, as you say, let's look at what this result is going to mean going forward. That's up next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to Full Time Europe from The Athletic. I think this all begs the question of who are... Man United now. You had Mark Skinner saying in the post-match press conference that there's a big gap between United and City, which might sit a bit oddly with some Man United fans because they were second place last season behind Chelsea. So are they the second place defenders? Are they still the relative newbies? Carl, what, what do you think about this? You had a great line describing them in the in your article, a team that drive the train and lay the track simultaneously. I absolutely loved that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that thing of because this team has been built so quickly. You had last season where they ended up in a tight race due to fantastic work, but you always had that asterisk or looking over your shoulder going, Arsenal have had a lot of injuries, Man City have a lot of injuries. Repeating second place next season won't be it won't be as straightforward. And it wasn't even straightforward last season. But now everyone's got better and there's been so much change. You, you lost Russo, you lost Honor. And I I genuinely think Manchester United are top four, but you can't be top four in a WSL. Because it's such a scrap to get into those Champions League places, you cannot be the fourth best team. Skinner repeated something that Taylor said in that when you lose a game like this, or when you lose a game to the not top four, as it is, you then have to have a long string of unbeaten games. And you bear in mind, you know, United are there, thereabouts, but they still haven't played Chelsea home and away yet. That's going to be two very, very difficult fixtures. And you speak to most United fans, say, I'll give you four points from these two games. They might bite your hand off about it. But that that's not good enough. If you want to be champions or if you want to be top two, you're going to have to start beating Chelsea home and away. You're going to have to start beating City home and away. You're going to have to start beating Arsenal home and away and at the moment those fixtures aren't falling your way so now the 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 margin for error against the rest no disrespect genuinely <laughs> becomes so much smaller so yeah I think Manchester United have everything within them to finish at least fourth but also I'm not sure that's where they're really aiming for anymore. Harry I find this a really odd one because I wonder at what point we need to stop letting United off the hook for being a new <laughs> team founded in, in 2018. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely spot on, to be honest. They've they've got the experience now. 
within that group they've recruited that experience specifically as well you know to be challenging at the top of of the league and playing Champions League football I guess in terms of the team and the setup of this team there are a lot of new players whereas I think with Chelsea with Arsenal maybe a little bit different especially with the returning players from injury um, where it almost feels like a completely new team but I feel like City uh, I think how many signings did City make in the summer one, was it just, just Jill Rod. Jill Rod. so they've had one player to integrate into a pretty set team whereas Man United still have almost quite a, a high turnover each summer either through contracts not being renewed and losing players like Russo and Bache to Arsenal and Barcelona, which shows the quality of, of the the player that they've they've had within their ranks. But then it becomes a, a bit of a project to almost start again and build a different core of your team. Mm. Um, so I think that's a challenge that Man United have faced this season, whereas Chelsea, you know, oh yeah, they lost Ericsson and Harder, but they already had their replacements within their ranks. Man United do have more strength in depth this season. That's undeniable. But that strength in depth will only really come to fruition when everybody's used to playing with each other and they've got their rhythm. So not trying to let them off the hook for being a um, a new <laughs> club and team necessarily. But I think the phase that they're in at the moment as a group of players together is very different compared to Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester City. Yeah, they've got they've got a number of players that are in win now status at a time where winning things in the WSL is harder than ever. I'm sure there was a a small chuckle when Emma Hayes announced she was leaving at the end of the season. But also there's no guarantee that Chelsea are gonna all of a sudden become the fifth best team in the WSL next season. But also, you know, if you're Manchester United, you shouldn't be playing for next season already. You should be going, right, how do how do we capitalise and make sure that all of our fantastic experienced players are at their peak right now? I was one of many fans who was at Lee for the first leg against PSG going, right, you've spent all this money to get some players with Champions League experience. You should probably start them, you know? Any chance, Skinner? (laughs) (laughs) And it's tricky when you bring in players for that Champions League and then you don't have Champions League football to give them. We'll also have to wait and see how the takeover makes a difference as well. It's a whole whole other problem, right? We're going to have to wrap this up here, but there's, there's so much to talk about and we'll definitely come back to this. As the season goes on, thank you so much, Carl Anke and Harriet Judge. Cheers. Thank you. Do check out Carl's match piece on The Athletic. Next up, we're bringing Charlotte Harper in to look ahead to this week's Champions League. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to Full-Time Europe with Sophie Penny. Giant Crushers Paris FC knocked last year's Champions League finalist Wolfsburg and semi-finalist Arsenal out of the competition in qualification. It's terminé! La qualification du Paris FC pour la phase de groupe de l'UEFA Women's Champions League. L'exploit Now Paris FC are into the group stages and play Chelsea on Thursday. The Athletics women's football reporter Charlotte Harper is with me to give us the lowdown on Paris FC. Bonjour Charlotte. 
Bonjour Sophie, ça va? Ça va, ça va? I think for people watching in the UK and Germany, maybe Paris FC kind of came out of nowhere. But Sandrine Souberon's side have been building for several years now, haven't they? They have. The club Paris FC bought the women's amateur team, UVZ, in 2017. So they took that amateur side and put it under the name of Paris FC. But UVZ before that won the league four times in France and actually got to the Champions League semi-finals in 2013. So they did have that core already there. Now, Paris FC, who are majority owned by a businessman called Pierre Ferracci, he sold a minority stake to the Kingdom of Bahrain in 2020. Mm -hmm. And that investment has slowly but surely allowed Paris FC to consolidate in the league. And they've finished third uh, behind Lyon and PSG in the last two seasons. So... For those working at the club, it wasn't a surprise that they beat Arsenal and Wolfsburg. But for other people outside of France, and especially me, it was. Mm, definitely. So they are professional now with that investment, as you say, from partly from Bahrain. But if you listen to this clip from an interview the athletic Melanie Anzide did with Paris FC midfielder Daphne Corboz, which is out soon on The Athletic, you'll see they actually do this professional setup a little bit differently. Paris FC is structured so that the girls do school or have a job on the side. Now, when I say that, um, Paris FC is fully professional. We have a president that invests so much in, in women's soccer and it's really a choice. So we aren't uh, in need of money or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's really just if you want to do something, an activity on the side, you have the opportunity. So we train late in the afternoon around uh, 4 p.m., which allows us to have the morning and early afternoon uh, to do something else. So my PhD program consists of doing research in a lab. So I go do research in the morning from approximately 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then I go to training. We start like pre-activation around three. So train from like three to six, depending on like a gym or whatnot afterwards. And then I live in Paris. So I have about a 45 minute commute back home. So I get home around seven, eight o'clock. I think that setup is really interesting, isn't it, Charlotte, that they they start their training a bit later to give their players a chance to to do something else. And the whole setup is done a little bit differently. It has to be because of the difference in budget between them and Leon and PSG, which I'm sure you'll tell me the figures. It's, it's a lot. So they have to do kind of recruiting a bit differently, don't they, to make up for that? Yes, I spoke to their head of recruitment, Antoine Ferreira. He said, when you don't necessarily have all the money, you have to have new ideas. Paris FC are working with a budget around 2.5 million euros for their women's team. Lyon, for example, are working in and around with 15 million. Mm. So that's the difference in budgets. Paris FC focus on two things regarding their scouting. First, youth players. And also they really develop their academy products. And secondly, the best French players within their league. So they're focusing within their domestic league. Okay, we can't get the top players, uh, Cardidia Tudiani or Wendy Renard or anyone like that, that who are... Creme de la creme. <laughs> creme de la creme. They're looking at who can we get of these young upcoming French players. The other thing that they focus on is their own recruitment of staff. So this year they've recruited a new assistant coach and their former assistant coach was doubling up as an assistant and a goalkeeper coach. Now he can just focus on the goalkeepers. 
their video analysis has gone from part-time to full-time and their med medical provision has improved too. So bit by bit, year by year, they're making savvy moves, which, you know, it's quite easy to say, oh, well, you know, the results are on the pitch. You can see they beat Arsenal and Wolfsburg, but it is a project over the last five years and they're seeing the fruit of their labour. I wonder what style of play we can expect from them against uh, against Chelsea on Thursday. When I was speaking to Antoine, the head of recruitment, he he was just saying, we're not afraid. They love to have the ball. They enjoy it. They have a high line. They push their wide players high up the pitch. And actually against Arsenal, you see all them being exposed in wide areas, defending against Arsenal. And I think that will be a problem against Chelsea. But he explained that you, you have to take risks uh, and you have to let spaces go. What I was really impressed with is, A, how quickly they want to get the ball back, especially high up the pitch. It's a message that Serena Wiegmann has said to her England side. But B, how quickly they then take action once they are in the opposition's half and regain the ball. So per game, they've taken four shots within five seconds of getting the ball back in the opposition's half. So as soon as they get it back, they're very direct, very quick. And yet, they, they, they can be undone. They lost 6-1 recently against Lyon. So if you know how to find those pockets of space, then you can expose them. But I don't think they're just going to sit back and form a low block against Chelsea. That's not their style of play at all. So we're in for an exciting game, either a high score line or, or lots of attacking play. As you say, they lost 6-1 to Leon and their Champions League winning run actually came to an end with a 2-1 loss to Hacken uh, last week. On Thursday, they play Chelsea, as we said. Chelsea are probably still smarting a bit from last week, aren't they? In their 2-0 two, two draw with Real Madrid, but Real Madrid got a penalty for a tackle that was actually outside the box. Then Neve Charles had a last gasp winner ruled out for offside. Obviously, VAR only comes into the place in the knockout rounds. They're just ridiculous. Some of the worst decisions I've ever seen. And if Chelsea had lost that game, there would have been absolute uproar. The fact that they've still got a point and hopefully that won't impact uh, their standings in the table. It shouldn't for Chelsea. UEFA said the impl implementation of VAR involves significant technical, operational and logistical challenges. Uh, but I still don't understand why VAR isn't used in the group stages of the Champions League, given the prestige of the competition. Yeah, it's a huge competition, isn't it? I think it deserves it as well. Kiva O'Neill did a good article about VAR in the women's game and how much it costs earlier this season. So do check that out on The Athletic. And Jesse Parker-Humphreys also broke down all the incidents between Chelsea and Real Madrid last week. So make sure you go to The Athletic to check that out as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Charlotte. Merci beaucoup. You can read more about Paris FC and the Champions League on The Athletic. There's a special limited time subscription offer on right now. It's £1 or $1 a month for 12 months. So head to theathletic.com slash WSL before Sunday the 26th of November to grab the offer. If you've enjoyed today's show, make sure you leave us a quick rating and review and hit follow on your podcast feed. To get in touch, you should send us an email on fte at theathletic.com. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Full Time Europe, part of the Athletic Football Podcast Network. The producer was Sophie Penny and the executive producer was Abby Patterson. 
to discover and listen to other great athletic podcasts just like this one including our brand new daily football briefing search for the athletic on apple spotify and everywhere else you get your audio on demand the athletic